Well, let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to Joel chapter 3. Joel chapter 3. And our text this morning will be verses 1 to 16a. I was going to do it all in one shot, and then I realized I couldn't study that fast. So, verses 1 to 16a this morning. Joel writes, as he is moved by the Holy Spirit, For behold, in those days and at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. When I enter into judgment with them there, on behalf of my people and my inheritance Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and they have divided up my land, they have also cast lots for my people, traded a boy for a harlot, and sold a girl for wine that they may drink. Moreover, what are you to me, O Tyre, Sidon, and all the regions of Philistia? Are you rendering me a recompense? But if you do recompense me swiftly and speedily, I will return your recompense on your head. Since you have taken my silver and my gold, brought my precious treasures into your temples and sold the sons of Judah and Jerusalem to the Greeks in order to remove them far from their territory. Behold, I am going to arouse them from the place where you have sold them and return your recompense on your head. And I will sell your sons and your daughters into the land of the sons of Judah, and they will sell them to the to them, sell them to the Sebians to a distant nation, for the Lord has spoken. Proclaim among the nations, prepare a war, rouse the mighty men, let all the soldiers draw near, let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am a mighty man. Hasten and come all you surrounding nations and gather yourselves there. Bring down, O Lord, your mighty ones. Let the nations be aroused and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come tread, for the wine press is full. The vats overflow with their wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon grow dark, and the stars lose their brightness. The Lord, Lord roars from Zion, and he utters his voice from Jerusalem, and the heavens and the earth tremble. There ends the reading of God's word this morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we tackle this text here this morning. Heavenly Father, again, I pray for clarity this morning as we go to your word. I pray that as we see the truths in your word that we will be encouraged and we will once again go forth rejoicing in our God. Pray that, again, you would help us to uh, uh, see the truth here and to obey it, I pray in your name. Amen. Well, we've been marching through the book of Joel. And again, if we were to say there was uh, a phrase that describes this book, we would say it is the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. And... It is used four times, I believe, in the book of Joel. 
And the day of the Lord is ascribed of a time of God's judgment and a time of God's blessing. It is a time where God will come and he will pour out his wrath on those who are disobedient to him and the nations that are disobedient to him while also rewarding those who are his. And that's seen throughout this book as he talks about restoration and he talks about judgment. He talks about restoration and judgment. And we see this all through this book. Now we remember as we started in chapter one that he was speaking about a time where there was a, a locust plague that came upon Israel. And it was to be a picture, a harbinger of what was to come, a, a day of the Lord that would come. And in their present circumstances, they are called to repent because of some unknown sin that we don't know about. And they are to turn to God in their t time of trouble. And so they were called to come back to the Lord and to put their trust in him. And then as we moved into chapter 2, we saw that there was the language still speaking of a locust plague, but the language that was being used here seemed to go beyond a local, local plague, and it seemed to point to something that was bigger. Though he spoke in language as if speaking of a locust plague, there was also language that seemed to point to something, a bigger event that would take place in the future. And that there would be a time again where the day of the Lord would come, where there would be wrath that was poured out on the world. And then as we got to ver verse 17, as we, and between 17 and 18, we said that there was a gap of time here. In other words, there's an assumed repentance of the people. There's an assumed repentance. And God says after that repentance that there, he is, there's going to be this time in the future where he's going to restore the land, where the land will no longer, will, will once again, we, will produce food. It won't be like it was when the, when the locust plague was there. And Israel will, will no longer be in a reproach among the nations. He will take the northern army from them. And he will restore them. And then as we got later on, we saw that he was going to restore them spiritually. It will come about in that day, I will pour out my spirit on all mankind and your sons and your daughters will prophesy. And so there's coming a time that in the future where God is going to fulfill this promise to Israel, where he is going to pour out the, his spirit on Israel. And their sons and daughters and all will prophesy. Old men will dream dreams and young men will see visions. And we, we discussed how in Acts chapter 2, Paul says, uh, uh, Peter says, actually, part of this has come. There's a prequel, a preview. The Holy Spirit has come under the new covenant. And there is salvation in the Lord. But all of these other events, the dreams, prophesying, none of this had taken place. And we remember when Peter is saying this, he's, all that's taken place is that they have spoken in tongues. None of this rest of these ideas have actually had taken place at all. And so God promises that there's going to be a spiritual restoration of Israel. And that, and that there will, at that time there will be displays in the skies and the earth, the blood, fire, columns of smoke, the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon into blood before that great and awesome day of the Lord. In other words, there's going to be cosmic signs that take place at that time. 
And so he says, in this future time, there's going to come a time where I'm going to restore, as it were, the land of Israel, and I'm going to restore the people of Israel spiritually to myself. But then as we turn to chapter 3, his focus changes. And he says, actually, not only am I going to restore that land, not only am I going to restore the people spiritually, but I am going to restore the nation of Israel itself. He says, for behold, in those days and that time, I will restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem. And as we come to chapter 3, we're going to see promises to Israel that he is going to place them back in the land, that he is going to restore them nationally. But in order for him to do that, God says, tied to that is judgment. In other words, Israel will not be restored until God judges the nations and he will judge all those who oppose him. And if, if we get nothing out of this passage other than that, we have to understand that God takes sin seriously and he judges those who oppose him. And he judges those who oppose his people. Now the church is not Israel, but we know this much, that if God is this faithful to his covenant promises to Israel, he will be faithful to his promises to us, and ultimately he will judge all sin, he will judge all those who have sinned against us, and ultimately the scales of justice will be filled. And so we understand that as we go through this chapter, if you get nothing else and you get lost in the details, that God shows that he is a just judge who brings justice and defends what is righteous and true. And so what we must understand is this. God's judgment is this a certain reality as his promise of restoration and blessing to those who are his. And so there should be a warning to all those who oppose God that God's judgment is real. Now this morning as we go through this text, we're simply going to see it in three sections. We're going to see the summons to judgment. We're going to see the sins that bring judgment. And then we're going to see the sentence of judgment. And so we'll see that as we walk through this text. So he begins, for behold, and again, it's, it's like pay attention. There's something, there's something to be, something marvelous, something you need, something vivid, something you need to look at. Behold, in those days and at that time. So what, what does he mean by in those days and at that time? Well, he has been discussing as we've gone through this book that, as, that there is going to be, first of all, a revival, they're going to come back to God. There's going to be a day of retribution, a day of restoration in chapter 3. There's going to be that time where the land is, is re refurbished. And he says, it's all in this same time. In other words, all that same time when, when Christ comes again, when, when Israel is placed back in the land and where the Messiah is to rule over them, he says, in those days, at that time, I will... This, this will take place. And again, we would understand that this is taking place at the, at the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
as he is coming at the end of the tribulation period and he is about to put his feet down on the Mount of Olives and he is now coming at that time. And all these events are taking in here. And again, we want to be careful that we're not trying to make everything into strict chronology because this stuff is all happening as it were at the same time and around the same time, same place. So he says, behold in those days, in those days where he's just promised restoration and deliverance, in that same time where the Holy Spirit is being poured out in a, in a unique manner on the, on the children of Israel, and the land has been restored to its productivity. He says, when I restore the fortunes of Israel and Judah, again, at that time, I will gather the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. And again, this speaks of God. It signifies of his sovereign control. He is the one who's bringing the nations. It's at his bidding. Zechariah 14.2 says, I will gather the nations against Jerusalem to battle and the city will be captured. Revelation 16.16, 16, and they gathered themselves together in the place of the Hebrew called Armageddon. And I saw the beast, Romans 19, and I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to make war against him who sat against his army. That is describing this same event. And he says, I will gather the nations. I will, I will bring them. It will be at my bidding. In a sense, he says, I, I, I will bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat, which means Yahweh judges. Now, the exact location, we're not sure of where that is. But he says, I will bring them down to this literal valley. And I will, again, we're not sure where this is. Uh, other prophets say that it is close to Jerusalem. Uh, he says, for thus saith the Lord of hosts in glory, he has sent against me the nations to plunder you. And again, uh, sorry, I got the wrong verse. Uh, Zechariah 14, 4, And that day he will stand on the Mount of Olives in front of Jerusalem in the east, and will split in the middle and the west in a very large valley. So half the mountain will be moved towards the north and to the other to the south. It could be that, it could be that plain that he brings them to. Isaiah talks about them coming uh, concerning the, the valley of vision, where everything will be seen clearly. It could be there. It could be that same valley in Ezekiel 38 where the Son of Man set your face toward Gog in the land of Magog, the Prince of Rosh, and how they come against Israel. But the purpose here isn't to know the geography, but the purpose is the valley is, he's calling them and he's calling the nations together to judge them for those who have raged against him and his covenant people. So God has subpoenaed, as it were, the nations, and he is gathering them together, and his, and his indictment is rendered on the, on the behalf of his own people, my people and my inheritance. So he says, I subpoena the nations, and I gather them here, and I'm gathering them here on the behalf of my people. This is my client. This is who I'm representing. My people and, and my inheritance, Israel. Again, this harkens back to chapter 217, where the priest prays that Yahweh will spare his people and his what? Inheritance. And here is Yahweh answering that prayer. 
He responds with zeal from his people, it says in verse 18 of chapter 2. And so he is coming on behalf. The idea here can either be that he is prosecuting the case for them or because of them, because of the manner in which they've been treated, that he is pursuing this course of action. And so he says, I'm I'm coming on your behalf. I'm either prosecuting this case for you or I'm coming because you have been done wrong. And all the nations are responsible for coming against Israel. And even though it is God who brings them, they are responsible for their coming. And so Yahweh is fulfilling the tenets of the Abrahamic covenant where he promised to bless those who bless Abraham and his descendants and he promised to annihilate those who would speak lightly of her. Genesis 12, 3, And I will bless those who bless you and I will curse and, and the one who curses you I will curse and all the families of the earth will be blessed and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Yahweh is defending his people, his inheritance, those who are his, those who are his chosen. In fact, to touch his people is to touch the apple of his eye. Zechariah says, For thus saith the Lord of hosts, After glory he has sent me against the nations with which plunder you. For he who touches you touches what? The apple of my eye. He says, I am, Israel is the apple of my eye. They are my chosen people. And to go against them is to go against me. You'll notice this, how he makes it personal. My people, my land, my inheritance. They cast lots for my people. God takes seriously himself and he takes, takes his people personally. So God has summoned, as it were, the nations to this, this valley. And he has summoned them there to judge them. And now he is going to lay out, as it were, the charges against them. Here are the sins that bring God's judgment. Why he has summoned them. This is the case that is against them. He begins in verse 2. He says, well, first of all, he says, I bring them down to the valley that I will enter into judgment with them there. This is where I will judge them. This is where I will, I, they will come before me. This is where I will mete out justice. This is where justice will be taken. And he says, on the behalf of my people and my inheritance, And here's the first charge against them, whom they have scattered among the nations, whom they have scattered among the nations. Now, it's interesting. There was numerous times when Israel was exiled and deported. The northern armies carried away Israel to Assyria in 722 B.C. Southern tribes were transplanted. I mean, the southern tribes were transplanted to Babylon later on. She was dispersed by the nations by Rome in first century AD. They were scattered and persecuted repeatedly down through the centuries. Now, it's interesting. 
Because in the New Testament, God says that he did what? He scattered them. He said he scattered them. So what's going on? God is using these wicked nations and these wicked people to do his what? They are the means to accomplishing his purposes. And they, are, they sinfully did these things even though God intended them for them to happen. And they are culpable for their behavior. They are culpable for their behavior. And so he says, there's, here's the first charge of the nations. And remember, we, we, this, is, this is taking place in the day of the Lord. This is when Christ returns. And, he's, and th- this is described in Revelation chapter 19, when Jesus Christ comes back with his angels and his saints, and where he goes to battle with those nations against him. And he makes this charge to all those nations who have persecuted Israel and scattered them among the nations. And he says, second charge. And they divided up my land. And they divided up my land. And the charge against the nations is this. You have divided up my land. In other words, it's my land. Right? Yahweh says, this is my land. This isn't just Israel's land. This is my land that I have set apart for them. And you have divided up my land. You have various times come and conquered the land and you have divided it up and you have taken it to be your own. And it doesn't belong to you. It belongs to me. It is not your land. It is my land. You have no right to it. Even today, the land of Israel is still divided. The third charge. They also cast lots for my people and traded a boy for a harlot. The third charge is a slavery. They have taken the people of Israel and they have taken them as it were in war And they have captured them and now they are beginning to sell them off. They're beginning to sell them to other nations. And the insult here is this is God's people. These are people who are precious to God. And the big insult is the price that is valued for a Jewish life. A boy is given for a payment for a night of a prostitute. He's just sold A girl is sold so someone can drink wine. And so they they take no value in the Jews. They take no value in who they are. And these are the charges that are brought against the nation. He says, moreover, what are you to me, O Tyre and Sidon, and all the regions of Philistia? Are you rendering me a recompense? But if you recompense me swiftly and speedily, I will turn this recompense on your head. And now he turns from the the nations in general to three or, or to two or three nations here. Two cities and one nation. And he gives a specific historical example of those who have persecuted Israel. Tyre and Sidon, 
were two major cities of Phoenicia situated on the Mediterranean sea coast. Sidon was located approximately 25 miles north of Tyre. Phoenicia was an early ally of Israel. She assisted Solomon in building the temple. Uh, he brought in Hiram, a bronze worker, to help with the temple. Ratified treaties with Phoenicia through marriage and Solomon. But in later years, Phoenicia joined with Philistia to harass Israel. And so they began to, to persecute Israel. And so he says, moreover, in other words, this is significant, what these nations have done to Israel. They are equally, though they are part of the nations, they are equally culpable for what they have done. They have sold Israel into slavery. And then Yahweh says to them this, are you rendering me? Well, first of all, he says, what are you to me? What are you to me? It's kind of a strong question. Really, what relationship do you have to me? Who are you? And in essence, we can see a divide between who God is and those who are challenging him. What are you to me? Are you rendering me a recompense? In other words, He's saying this, as we combined all this, if we were to t take it all and put it together, is simply this. What have I done to you that would cause you to come after me? What would cause you to come? Is there something that I have done through Israel that would demand that you respond the way that you are responding to, to my people? Have I done anything to you? Is there any injustice which I have done to you through Israel that you should avenge with evil? And the answer is up to this question is simply no. No, God hasn't done anything to these nations at all. And Yahweh says, but if you recompense me, if you try to do evil to me, if you try to come after my people, Swift and speedily I will turn your recompense on your head. In other words, you're coming after me and you are trying to harm me, but if you do that, then I will turn around and I will swiftly do it back to you. I will, any attempt to pay back God for what he has done in Israel will be quickly repaid by God himself. He will take revenge. Then he says in verse 5, Since you have taken my silver and my gold, bought precious treasures to your temple. And he says of these nations, guess what? You are the ones who have raided my people and you have taken their treasure and you have taken what you have gotten from them and now you are taking it and you are putting it in your temples. In other words, you have taken what is rightfully my, it's my silver, my gold, my precious treasures. 
everything ultimately belongs to God. And you have taken these treasures from my people, and now you have taken them. And in what is typical in wartime, when you take, when you defeat another nation at that time, you attributed that victory to your God. And so what would you do? The, the mighty men would take their treasure and they would take some of it and they would take it to the temple and they would give it as a sacrifice to their God, saying, our God is superior to Yahweh. And so God is saying, I'm bringing recompense on you because you are taking what is rightfully mine and you're using what is, what is my treasure, my precious things, and you are now using it to worship false God. You are using it in false worship. Now it's interesting when you think about that. Because everything belongs to the Lord. And everything that you use, that you use not in worship for God, but for something else, you are actually involved in exactly this. When you think about it, when you bring it out, you are taking God's treasures because everything belongs to him and you are using them not for his worship, but for a worship of something else. And so he says, you have, you have taken my treasures, you have stolen them and you have used them to worship false gods and I will bring recompense on your head. And he says, and you sold the sons of Judah and Jerusalem to the Greeks in order to remove them far from their territory. Here's that second accusation, slavery, slave trade. And he says, you have, you have sold the sons and daughters of Jerusalem and Judea, and you sold them to the Greeks. The Greeks were up north. They are up the coast. And he says, you have sold them into slavery really across the water. And Israel was, a, was a, land bear, a land-keeping nation. They didn't have a navy. And you have taken them up north to Greece and across the water. And he said, not only have you taken them and sold them into slavery, not only have you been taken my people and used them for you, what you want them for, but he says, you have done it with bad motives. He says, you have done it in order to remove them from their territory. In other words, you are taking God's people and you are removing them from the land that God has given them and you have done it because you want to make sure that they don't come back and you want to make sure that they lose influence in the land because you're trying to make it your own. You don't want them to come back. You don't want them in the land. You have decided that the land is yours. He says, behold, again, pay attention. I am going to arouse them from the place where you have sold them and return your recompense on your head. In other words, I am going to rouse the Israelites that you have taken to that far land to where you think you've gotten rid of them. You think that you've maybe made the nation go extinct. You think that they're completely done, that they will never come back. But he says, I have a different plan. I'm going to arouse them. I'm going to awake them from the place where you have sold them, where they are existing, and return your recompense on your head. 
In other words, I am going to bring them back. Also, I will sell your sons and your daughters into the land of the sons of Judah. Now, the idea here seems to be more like I'm going to give you into the power. You are going to be under the power of the Israelite nation. You, I'm going to, you are going to be under the power of the Jews. And once you're under that power, they will sell the sons of the Sebians to a distant nation for the Lord has spoken. In other words, you're going to, they're going to take you who have been persecuting them and they're going to sell them to the south. You've been selling them to the north, they're going to sell you to the south. They're going to take your sons and daughters and put retribution on them. And so he has listed here all of the crimes that they have committed against Israel. He's summoned them, he subpoenaed them to the, Jehosha, to the valley of Jehoshaphat. He has listed their crimes, what they have done against Israel. They're guilty of stealing slave trade. They're guilty of stealing. I think I said that. So they are, they are guilty of dividing the land, removing them from the land. And now we see the sentence, the sentence of judgment. He says, proclaim this among the nations. In other words, this is something that is to be told to the nations, this judgment that is coming. Now it's not clear who, the, who is to proclaim this, but it would seem that this is, is, is the, the angels that are coming with the Lord. Proclaim this to the nations. Prepare a war. Rouse the mighty men. Let all the soldiers draw near. Let them come up. Now God is again summoning in many ways. He is taunting the nations. Come. Come to war against me. You who have been against my people. You have, who have done offenses against my people and against me. Prepare for war. That's the idea of consecrate. The idea is to set apart. It was used often for those who would go into, into worship of false gods before they went to war. In other words, go through your religious ceremonies. Come to war. Rouse the mighty men. Let all the soldiers draw near. Let them come up. If you're going to fight God, you better come prepared. You better rouse all of the mighty men. Let all the soldiers come near. Let them draw up. Let them come up. In other words, let them be ready. Let them be ready in, the, in that field, in that valley to fight. He says, beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. This sounds familiar, doesn't it? But this is with a twist. I think we're used to the other way around, aren't we? Where it talks about that time in the millennial kingdom where they will... What? Beat their, their swords into plowshares. And here it's the other way around. Here's the other way around where they will be taking, we would call, agricultural implements and making them into what? Swords. They will, instead of peace, there will be war. Plowshares, it refers to a large plow, as, not, as, not as a whole plow, 
but simply the metal tip which actually breaks the earth and cuts a furrow. And a pruning hook was something that was used to prune vines, to cut off extra leaves and young shoots. It was a short knife with a curved hook at the end, sharpened inside like a sickle. And he says, take these, beat them into swords, pruning hooks into spears. In other words, if you're going to fight God, you better come prepared and you better take all the resources that you have, everything that you can. Let the weak say I am mighty. In other words, bring everybody. Nobody stays behind. And the idea here is kind of the idea that that the weak have to get up their courage, the weak, maybe even the farmer is coming who's unprepared to fight. But there's a sense in which the, 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 the people are now getting caught up in a Samson-like idea or, or mindset and they are, they are caught up with the idea with mankind that they can fight God. And he says, let them come. Let them think they are mighty. Let them come out against me. And so they will come. He says, come out to fight. Hasten and come, all you surrounding nations, and gather yourselves there. Again, hurry up, come, be prepared for the battle. All the nations, not some, all of them, gather yourselves together there. Bring you, come against the Lord. And then as it were, with, there's a, an explanation here as, as Joel jumps in. Bring down, O Lord, your mighty ones. Joel gets excited as he sits here and he sees the nations that are coming against God and those who would defy him. And he says, bring down, O Lord, your mighty ones. This is his prayer. This is what he says. Lord, bring down your mighty ones. Come with your angels, the, the strong ones who are able to fight. Come against those nations. Don't allow them to come. Let the nations be aroused and come to the valley of Jehoshaphat. In other words, let, let the nations rise. Let them get their army together. Let them come to the valley of judgment where God will stand and where Yahweh will judge. And the Lord says, for I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. I will sit on my throne and I will, I will, I will judge. And then he says, put the sickle in the harvest for the harvest is right. And again, it would seem that he's speaking of the mighty ones here to put in the sickle. The idea here is for the harvest is ripe. In other words, it's time to cut down the crop. The wickedness of the nations has come. He says, come tread for the wine press is full and the vats overflow for the wickedness is great. In other words, it's time for the wrath of God to be, to be poured out. It's time for God to come with his wrath. The vats overflow from their wickedness is great. There's so much wickedness in these nations. It's, it's almost like all of the grapes are, are on, the, on, the, on, the, on the wine press and they're starting to flow out just because of the weight of the amount of grapes. And so is the wickedness of the nations. It's overflowing. Joel says, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. There are Millions and millions of people coming to this valley. 
multitudes and multitudes in the valley of decision. And the decision here is not being made by the nations. It's not being made by individuals. The decision that is being made is God's decision to judge. He is the one who will judge the nations. He says, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The day of the Lord is present. It is now going to take place. God is now going to judge those who come against him. And then we see the images of judgment in in verse 15. The sun and the moon grow dark and the stars lose their brightness. Again, this is familiar to us from chapter 2 where he talked about the same thing, where there would be darkness and that the sun would lose its light and the moon would grow dark. This is that time described again in Revelation where God is coming and the sun and the moon will grow dark and the stars will lose their brightness. It says the Lord roars from Zion and again the idea is roars like a lion. He's coming, he's coming from Zion and he utters his voice from Jerusalem. He is coming to judge. He's coming like a ferocious lion to tear apart those who oppose him. It says, and the heavens and the earth tremble. There is cosmic shaking. The earth is now shaking. This isn't just a close proximity to where he is, but the whole world and even the heavens are tremble. Not just the earth. The whole universe trembles before the judgment and the anger of God. And so Joel tells us, listen, there's coming a time in the future where God will restore the fortunes of Israel and of Judah and Jerusalem and he will judge all those who have been opposed to Israel and all those who have been opposed to God. And that judgment is right, that judgment is real, and that judgment is coming. And so we can know this. God has laid out for us events that will take place in the future. He has laid out these events for us as believers to bring us hope. And every time we touch on eschatology, we want to come back to this idea that God is giving us hope. And we know this, that if we are his people, if we are his, we will never face this wrath. We will never stand, have to stand before God and have him pour out his wrath and his anger upon us. God has promised Israel that he would put them back in the land. He has promised that he would prosper them. He promised that he would rule over them. And he also promised them that he would right the scales of justice by dealing with the sins and the offenses against them in accordance with his covenant with them, the Abrahamic covenant, that he would make sure that all rights and all wrongs were taken care of. And so we too, we look forward to that time where the scales of justice will be once again balanced, where God will deal with all those who have come against him, all those who have come against his people, whether it's the the nation of Israel or believers in the Lord Jesus Christ.
and God will eventually right all wrongs. And if God is so fervent for his people, and he's so fervent to keep his promises to Israel, then we know that he will keep his promises for us. And we know that we will, that the salvation that he has promised us and the restoration that he has promised us will be given to us because it is the same covenant keeping God who is judging the nations for opposing his people will be the same God who will judge those who have opposed us and opposed God in this life. So yes, we get a glimpse of the future. We get a glimpse of God's program. We get a a glimpse that God is going to restore the nation of Israel. But we must never forget that this restoration is based upon belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. Restoration never comes to anyone outside the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Israel, it says, will turn. They will look on him whom they have pierced and they will mourn. Israel will not be restored as a nation because they are just God's chosen people. They will be restored because they have repented and accepted the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it is with us. The only way that we will escape God's judgment is to be restored through the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this morning, we don't have to worry about facing God's judgment because we have the Lord Jesus Christ and he is our righteousness and he is the one who keeps us from facing God's wrath. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this look into the future. Well, you will gather the nations and bring them against you to destroy them in in judgment. And we are once again awed by your power and your sovereignty and your ability to do whatever you like. And how you are righteous and holy and how you will punish sin. And we thank you that when you are for your people, you are zealous. And that we know that just like the nation of Israel, that you will keep us because you are zealous for us. And so, Lord, I, I thank you for this look into the future. We thank you for your faithfulness to your promises and your covenant promises. And I pray that we would be those who would look to the Lord Jesus Christ and be restored. We thank you for this word in your name. Amen.